Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 212. Nothing special. Recorded, uh, no, it's not October anymore, November 1st, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP Dot com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Well, hello, everyone out there in Internet land, and welcome to the craziness that is EDL. For now. And just think, only 55 more days till we can start saying only 364 days till Christmas next year. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking as I was doing that introduction that has become so rote, I can think about other things while I'm doing it, that if we ch- when, if we change the name of the show, or when we change the name of the show, because I'm still committed to it, I've got to come up with a, a new opener, and I'll have to, you know, maybe write it out or something. But that one I just do just do it i can actually be typing Mm -hmm. the first time that happened it was very surreal i was actually typing another sentence finishing out a show notes while i was doing that welcome back to the linux show that's not about linux but about and i was like wait a minute what did i just do that's like a superhuman power i just grew it's like like suddenly a third hand appeared um (laughs) i have become ron burgundy Ooh, i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing (laughs) you stay classy san diego (laughs) Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Stay classy. While you're stopping by. <laughs> oh, love that movie. So um, this week we don't have a particular topic in hand. We just got some news and some stuffs. But the first thing we got to talk about is that uh, uh, it was ho- it was uh, Halloween week, night. What? Uh, somehow this one holiday where kids go and get candy has become like a two to three week long celebration. Uh, it's become yeah. a big thing. Is that is that true where you are, Chris? Yeah, it is. Uh, I have people that will dress up a couple of days before Halloween, even. Um, so it's kind of surreal to see that, and that like when they allow them to do it at the grocery store and everything, because they'll do it. Yeah, so you'll so have people. My wife and I kids went to the grocery store on the Friday before Halloween just to buy groceries. And there was like a Halloween carnival going on. They were there were games, and they were the employees were all dressed in costume, and they were giving out candy and prizes, and it was the best thing in the world for a mom, right? You go go play, I'll go shop. Uh, so I totally get why they were doing it, but you know, like customers were coming in costume. So apparently, it was something that people knew about. They didn't. They had just showed up. But yeah, I had right. never heard of a grocery store having a Halloween carnival. That's the weirdest thing to me. But oh well, it worked. Yeah, it happens. It happens. It happens a lot. You know, so, at, at my um, house when I was growing up, maybe say Halloween was on a Friday. Wednesday, we'd go to Walmart and get the plastic Superman outfit, um, and then uh, <laughs> without trying it on to see if it fit first. And then Friday, we would uh, try it on like seven minutes before we went out, and we would take our little plastic pumpkins uh, full of candy, and we'd go door to door. Of course, in my house, door to door took like a four miles in the car to go door to door because i live that rural um and we would trick-or-treat then we'd come home and dump everything out and look for razor blades and and arsenic in the candy welcome to 
you know the modern world uh, but that was there was not a whole lot of thought that went into it the school always did a halloween carnival now they call them fall festivals but it wasn't mm-hmm. a big thing and I, I know i have friends in europe uh and and the, for them it's not a big thing uh, in fact they don't even do what we do what we used to do in the 80s but in america it's it's become like some people uh look forward to it even more than christmas I mean, down the street the neighbors had halloween lights up all month just like oh, yeah. like christmas lights um and this, there's this we one the family down the street that always decorates their house. Uh, I mean, goes all out. They staged a car accident. They had a car turned over in a police car, all all there, and and smoke billowing out of it. Like, good grief, people! Um, what is this thing coming? Mm-hmm. To? What does this thing become? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, we had the same thing. We have about there's about 17 people in town that are Halloween over the toppers. Um, you know, they had the, the car crash idea or, or something similar. Um, this one place has, they're all the inflatable or animatronic dolls on their front porch. And it now is spilling over to the yard. And it's just this giant haunted housey yeah. blow up automation thing. And man, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's pretty darn cool. You know, we live, done. we live in a, you know, a, an affluent, uh, neighborhood i've said many times i couldn't afford to buy a house here if i weren't renting a house um and the, like sometimes a whole cul-de-sac all the people will get together at, at one house at the end of the cul-de-sac and like have essentially a, a carnival with mm-hmm. with games and rides and a little haunted house that somebody's made into their garage uh i went into one and uh they they had this guy in a fairly realistic. I'm mean, certainly if you're eight, it's very realistic looking uh, werewolf costume chained up to a to a thing and growling at people. And you had to go past him to get the candy. Um. So wow. And and yeah. this two year old Batman was just bawling through his pacifier. Um. And his mom was was not helping. She was uh, making him, no, you want the candy, you go, you get it. And he was just crying. And then when he left, one of the scary clowns turned to me and said, we got our first tears of the night. And I'm like, you consider that a good thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of a sick wow. jerk are you? But, you know, my kids, uh, they, they, they ate it up. You know, it was, it was sort mm-hmm. of to see, see who could get closest to the fake werewolf. And, uh, you know, my, my, my daughter and her, oh, gosh. One of those parenting moments, the boyfriend went trick-or-treating with us. So it was me and, and my how precious... How your kids? The oldest is 13. Yeah, so it was me okay. and my precious babies and the other guy. Um, <laughs> and we were all out. And so they were, because there was an, an outsider there, a guy there, um, and because he was trying to impress his woman, uh, wow, I can't believe I just said that about my daughter. Um, <laughs> they They were trying to get as close as they could to the fake werewolf and uh uh-huh. and they came away from it and they were they were genuinely scared and i said uh to him that just goes to show you that knowing it's fake doesn't always make it less scary yep. um, and that's an important lesson i try to make sure that i point at lessons in life and, and sometimes your your own anxieties even though you know they're not real um are terrifying so mm-hmm. that was the the lesson i managed to teach them but uh, it's just it's i've never seen halloween done as big as they do it around here and i i wondered if it was just here but apparently it's up north as well oh yeah well, it's you know and it's that way when i was in college um i had i went out with a friend of mine and their kids because they had little kids in college um in phoenix and they had similar things down there so i don't think it's just up north or in your area i think it's starting to, to to bloom and take over everything what about you seth well i mean it's just proof that we won 
geeks have won because now <laughs> everybody wants to dress up and Halloween is a great excuse to right. do it. We got the jocks playing Dungeons and Dragons. We just changed the name to fantasy football. Geeks yeah. have taken over the world. So, yeah, uh, yeah no, we had a, a, a costume contest at work. So people were walking around, uh, one girl dressed as Robin, and I mean, she looked like Robin. She goes over the top all the time. We had one department. Robin, is it Batman and Robin? Yes, Batman and Robin. Okay. Uh, we had one department dress up as a roller coaster, which was actually pretty cool. Um, and we got a pizza party for lunch. So, you know, it's not yeah, just high school. It's yeah. Halloween is the perfect merchandising holiday because any religious significance of it has been lost uh, to history. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just you know, do, and it's not even scary stuff. It's just dress up and eat candy and throw candy at each other and, you know, have fun. So, so where's the ACLU, uh, picketing, uh, Halloween carnivals, uh, in the name of, uh, freedom from Druidish, uh, Druidic worship? Uh, where are those people saying it's my right to be free from religion and you shouldn't push Druidism on me? The, uh, the big bucks that the uh, merchandisers, you know, Walmart says, shut up. We need to push candy. And they're like, okay, you're our biggest contributor. We'll let you have this one. So all three of my children, uh, took their candy and stuffed it into a gallon size Ziploc, uh, patent pending, uh, or no, uh, what, uh, promotional. I said the word. What's anyway, uh, gallon size Ziploc bag stuffed full like they were having to shove it in there and expand the size so we have literally three gallons of candy in our house um and i mean then we're not one of those parents that take it all away and throw it away but we we meter it out so they will be eating this candy when the easter candy comes in um you know and we'll give them a couple three pieces a day uh but it's it's just amazing uh you talking about the the money the the you know walmart i can't imagine the thousands of dollars because we spent i mean not a lot 20 bucks but that's just one house 20 bucks on candy and if every you know every house in every neighborhood in 300 how 300 million households across the country spent 20 bucks on candy yeah no wonder Yep. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, and what what's really funny is I don't know if your dentists in your area do it, but my dentists here do a candy buyback. So you can oh. bring the candy, the, you can take the candy down to the dentist, and they'll give them cash. It's not a lot, but you know, a lot of times, like my kids, you know, they'll have five or six pieces of candy, and then they don't touch it. And I mean, we've literally let it sit on the counter. And my kids won't even touch it. They'll grab the apples and pears and, and fruit yeah. before they'll grab candy. My kids You're think weird. the only thing better than sugar is more sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and bacon. Uh, sugar yeah. and bacon. Actually, Bacon's one of them won't even eat bacon. Fruit. And I'm pretty sure she's adopted. Um, yeah, you might yeah. need to get the you might need to get a to, paternity test yeah. on that one, Mark. That's she no looks she looks surprisingly like the mailman. Uh, or, you know, switch in the hospital. That's where I would go with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Somewhere I'm, these vegans have this daughter. <laughs> They're just like, I want a pig now. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this show or not, but my oldest daughter decided she was going to make her costume. Um, and so she she dressed as Belle uh, from Beauty and the Beast, Princess Belle, um, in a full-length uh, formal gown with a bodice and a ruffle and the whole bit out of duct tape. I bought wow. 600 yards of yellow duct tape, and we have, uh, you know, a little tiny bit, maybe an inch left on a roll. 
uh, of it and it took her almost a month i mean the, you, you seth you were talking about the cosplay right this is right up there with dragon con people she spent mm-hmm. every day for a month on this thing and not only did she i mean it ended up being a whole family affair like everybody at some point worked on this dress Right. Uh, but she went to uh, like three Halloween parties and won every every contest. Um, really, it's That's just cool because it's it looks like a, a a ball gown. You look at her from fifty feet away, and it's like that girl is wearing a ball gown. And then she gets up close, and you and you realize it's a shiny, stiff ball gown. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, every what that she cut the uh, uh, used an old bed sheet and and bought a pattern from uh, Amazon elementobi.com slash amazon um and so then once they had the rough pattern out of the the old bed sheet she started layering pieces of duct tape on it and and you know here it needs a little more structural and here i want the dress to then um yeah it's a full-on yellow duct tape dress that's cool it looked great i saw the pictures on facebook yeah it looked really good and you'd really have to look twice at it to know that it was made out of duct tape uh, and so everywhere we went, you know, when we were trick or treating, everybody was like, "How long did that take you? Really, you made that?" And and my motto is, you know, uh, why why buy for fifty dollars what you can make for yourself for one hundred and fifty? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My um, I didn't have anything like that for my kids, um, but my son, he spent about every dollar he could for a custom made Darth Maul get up. Nice. So he had he had all of the the robing. And it was custom cut to him. Uh, but what's funny though is we actually got him a, one of the dual bladed lot, lightsaber, you know, from Nerf or whoever makes them. But since he's doing the martial arts, he has the bow staff skills to actually pull it off. Numchuck skills, bow so, staff skills. Well, what was funny though is so he's sitting out there walking my daughter around to all the houses, and one of the places there was a, a conglomeration of little kids. And so he was sitting there showing off, twirling the bow staff or his, the lightsaber staff around, and just the kids were eating it up. So I thought it was pretty cool. I, th- I put that as a win for his costume, considering awesome. he could, you know, entertain 15 kids with just twirling a glowing stick. Oh, that's, cool. that's good stuff. Um, I just wanted to, uh, follow up a little bit on last week. Uh, you know, I, I did the, the discussion on the man's proclivity toward holy wars and i didn't get as much feedback on that as i expected uh maybe people haven't uh, caught up with because I, I said some fairly incendiary things there that anybody who's even remotely an animal lover uh could be upset about and that's okay i expected people to be upset about that but what i found fascinating and i don't have any of it for the show tonight because um i didn't get any i didn't get enough quality feedback uh to share with you but what i got was instead of people talking about the the overall discussion right why do we mm-hmm. why do we have an us versus them why do we have holy wars they to a man a hundred percent of them chose to attack my position in a holy war fashion so instead of addressing the issue they attacked my position which is exactly my whole point of the entire discussion is that yeah. even and I consider my audience here to be smarter than the average bear, right? I think that we have an audience of of higher than average intelligence people. But even they got sucked in to not being able to have an intelligent intellectual debate about a hot topic issue without getting they sucked into the hot point. topic. I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is awesome. Nation. Well, you're you're Seth. You said that uh, education would fix it, but I think these are all educated people. 
but well, I mean, just because you're educated overall doesn't mean you know how to argue and debate. That's a good and point. Use rhetoric mm-hmm. in an yeah. effective fashion. And maybe that's it. Maybe when you don't have the tools, um, like uh, there's, there's, you know, using reductio ad absurdum and defending against it are the same set of skills, right? Um, and if you don't know what reductio ad absurdum is, then you're part of the problem. Um, and it's one of the most common uh, arguments that's reducing the opponent's argument down to the most absurd point of it and then mocking it for its absurdity. Um, and if, if you don't know what it is, you can't you, you can't defend against it. You can probably use it because you've been using it all your life. But until right. you can recognize it and defend against it. So you're right, Seth. Um, understanding the proper way to debate versus argue. There's a huge difference between a debate and an argument. Um, a, an argument, the goal is to win. A debate, the goal is to learn. And so when exactly. I go into a discussion, my goal is always to learn. Um, and so I, I approach things very differently. I'm not about winning. I'm about the truth. Uh, and so the the feedback that I got was about winning and not about the truth. And so even this audience is subject to that. Well, I think it's a human nature thing. I honestly do. You know, we have that, this is my home, this is my castle, and it pulls down to not just, you know, our way we think, but the way we interact with each other. You know, if it's a small holy war that you can win, let's win it. Because it's that's our goal is to win everything. Speaking of winning, in spite of everything, um, my Cowboys are 50 seconds away, at least according to my recent update, from losing uh, to a superior team, but only by one point. So just got to get that's that out bad. there. Uh, your Raiders, on the other hand, mopped the floor yes. today <laughs> against a really I good team. Happy. Yeah, That was impressive. Yeah. Um, I was really shocked that they – I was hoping for the win – but I was expecting a good game, and I got a good game and the win. So I was happy with it. I was watching the Cowboy game, and I think I am just about done with caring about professional football. Um, there's a play near the end of the first half, the C- Seattle punts, and so they're running down on coverage, and this Dallas player blocks an oncoming Seattle player head up, you know, man to man, solid block, path, solid block, and he's penalized. I mean, look, it was a violent hit, and I, I hope the Seattle guy's okay. I don't wish him to be harmed, but whenever a routine play is a penalty, it's just it's no fun to watch football anymore. I used to be a super football fan. I watched every football I could get, and then it got to where I would have it on, but I was doing other stuff. I didn't even watch any of the earlier games because I was watching the Mummy Curse of the Dragon Emperor because that was more <laughs> exciting than any football game could have possibly been. So I think I'm just done with professional football because it's become not exciting to watch. Well, you know, and, and that discussion around that was all about how do you make the game safer? Um, and, yeah. you know, and I get that. I understand that you don't want athletes to have brain damage at age 30. Um, but there's also the the way to make the game safer is to make the players smaller and slower. They didn't yeah. get hurt so bad in the seventies because they were smaller and slower. Uh, so sure. let's go back to that and there'll be fewer injuries. Well, and if we're going to take, you know, one of the reasons they make that insane amount of money is because there's a chance every play could be their last. So if we're going to make the game safer and take away all of the hits and everything that's exciting about it, then let's knock 10 or $20 million off of the team salary cap. Yeah which I don't see that happening. 
I mean, no. it's it's pretty much at this point, if you touch the quarterback, it's a penalty. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. pretty frustrating. And I know the quarterbacks don't think that because they, they, they wake up and get bruised and, and beaten. But compared to, you know, Deacon Jones slapping a guy in the side of the head and ringing his bell and then going and pile driving the quarterback, you know, the the game does is not even recognizable from the, you know, the standpoint of the defensive lineman. Yep. Yeah. All right, enough about that. Let's talk about other stuff that's not Linux. Uh, so both of you guys have new additions to your households. Who would like to go first? I don't know. Seth, do you want to go first? I had I the first one we with have, the... Um, we have three new goats at our house. One mama had a single, and another mama had twins. So we're back up to 10. Uh, they always... I don't know, but... Our goats are just the most unlucky goats ever because the first one had goats like a day before we got a foot of rain. And then the others were just a couple of days before we got all this rain. Um, we'll probably get some more right before the coldest day in winter. My goats never have one like in the middle of spring. It's always right before some climactic weather. Well, that's event. because in the middle of the spring, they're making them. Well, you know, they, <laughs> so, listen. I can tell when the male goats are horny because, <laughs> you know, it's just they don't want to eat. They're too busy chasing chasing the female goats and sniffing them. And, you know, the poor female goats, they lose all this weight trying to just leave me alone and let me eat. And uh, it's kind of funny to watch, you know, um, I saw this is a it's a dumb story, but this goat poor. he He's the little he's the beta male. He was he was trying to mount the wrong side of the goat. And, <laughs> and he didn't stop. That's funny. Um, I was just like, you poor guy. And then, of course, you know, the big one runs him off and tries to keep him away. And so he, he ended up being chased. I was just like, I feel sorry for you, little fella. But, uh, yeah, so yeah. we got three new baby goats. Yeah, if you grew up in Very the cool. country like Seth and I did, you know what makes babies. Because you see it everywhere you look. Yep. <laughs> there are no At least questions. during certain times of year. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there's a story that's sort of an apocryphal, apocryphal story in my household of uh, a family that was uh, in a, going down a, a country road. Uh, and there were two uh, bovines uh, doing what they do, blocking the road. And so they could not travel. They could not go forward. These, If you've ever been on one of these little windy blackland roads, you can see how that could happen. Um, and so with three kids in tow, they had to watch until it was over. Um, oh. And so one of the kids who was, uh, I, I think, six, six at the time, asked the question, you know, Mama, what are those cows doing? And she said, oh, those are circus cows. And they're just, they're just practicing for their circus tricks. And so... <laughs> In my family, that's what we describe that action as being. Anytime we see that action, oh look, there's some circus squirrels. Yeah, that's uh, they're they're just performing. They're practicing their routine. <laughs> that's awesome. I'll yeah. have to remember that one. <laughs> and so, um, if you've never experienced it, it's uh, watching a thousand pound beast mount another thousand pound beast um, is. Is traumatic to, even to the most seasoned uh, observer, uh, and to a six-year-old, I can imagine that uh, you know they never wanted to go to Ringling Brothers after that. <laughs> Probably not. And so, Chris, what about you? Uh, uh, we're getting a new puppy. Well, I can't call it a puppy. It's out of the. 
it's morally in this the three quarters of its growth um but it's a a boxer something we're not quite sure what it's mixed with but it's a little boxer that's going to come up from uh our julia my wife her uh her cousin needs to rehome her boxer because she can't handle in big city boxers just don't quite work really well so we're going to take her take him off take her off her hands and we will have a new little puppy running around the house uh i don't know if it's so much for me or if it's so much for everyone else all right boxers that's a high energy breed right there oh yes i i'm finding a way to exercise and if i have to do it via walking slash running with a dog i will do it all right uh i i just wanted to share with you uh one of my experiences this week um in, in my commute typically takes anywhere from 50 to 90 minutes um to go 20 miles uh, welcome to atlanta country boy uh and so this was going to be one of those longer days i could tell by the traffic uh so i decided i would call at&t and uh because you know since you've got an hour to kill uh that's how long it takes to talk to anybody at at&t and i had a simple question so where I have right now, I have uh, uh, one megabit up, like uh, 1.2 is the most I ever get up. And it, and it makes it difficult to, like, for example, stream this show or to send large files. So I, I wanted to call and ask the question, simple question. Is there a technical limitation that prevents me from getting faster or can I throw money at you and get more? That was the question. Okay. 86 minutes to get an answer to that question. Four, four wow. people, four different levels of tech support over 86 minutes uh uh, at least 50 of those minutes on hold which means i was talking to somebody for 30 minutes um and none of them could give me that answer until i finally got to like a fourth level engineer and he had to actually he couldn't answer it he went and asked somebody like put me on hold and walked across the hall and spoke to somebody who knew the answer to the question the answer was no you can't get anything faster where you are is what you've got is what you've got why the heck? Is it that they really didn't know or that they were un, unwilling to give the answer to that question? I, I don't know. I'm going to guess the other one. I'm going to guess they were unwilling um, because I asked the same type of question from my provider here. Uh, but my question was, is there a reason that you give us a cap? Is there any way I could pay to get rid of said cap? And my answer was given, uh, no, we have no um no way of doing that it's like but it's an unlimited resource right. well you know, what i technically there is no limit what i found out during the course of my 86 minutes was that i actually have a cap um what i found out is that they are not uh honoring that cap they're not they're not uh, tracking it but he the, the guy mentioned something about bumping up against your cap and i said what i don't have a cap um he said oh yeah you're capped at uh, i think it was 150 gigs um <laughs> Yeah. Uh and I and I was like I'm pretty sure I have been bumping up against that. Uh but you know it I, I was like it's not in my contract anywhere. Nobody's ever told me that. Did you slip that thing in somewhere? Uh but it turns out that yeah, it's one of those things that they they have implemented but aren't enforcing, but later when they feel the need to, they'll say, "Oh yeah, you've had this in your contract." So uh what's your yeah. cap, Chris? 400 yeah. gigabytes. So that's kind of what, if he, if he says I'm capped at 150, there's there's no way I haven't gone over one. I mean, I haven't looked at my stats recently, but with with all the YouTubing and and uh, 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 
Netflixing and and this showing that I go through, there's no way that I'm not crushing 150 gigs. I was just going to see if I could pull up my cap, my bill, because they, you know, they're nice enough. They give me an online app. I can look up my bill and how much I'm using. So let me, while we're vamping to get but through, let me see what I can find. Part of your cap. Yes. Yes. Using the app. Yes. Counts against your cap. Well, no, because, well, yeah, it does. Um, so, of course, they so, want you to check it. Yes, and Let's see. Let's see. And Nordic in the so, chat room, Mike the former butcher, once again is apologizing for his gigabit speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my month of October, which uh, you can see my graph if you wanted to, it's... Uh, Let's see. My cap is at 400 gigabytes, and I topped the month off at 600. So, and that was we were gone for yeah. like a week in there. And it's it's uh, what I it's yeah. what I said earlier when we were talking about this. It's ridiculous that you have to plan to pay penalties. That there's there's not an mm-hmm. option for you to to purchase something that meets your needs. Here's what you do, Chris. You buy a second connection. And then you set up a gateway with two ports. And then so, you know, you just pay in for two of them and then your data is aggregated between them. That's what you should well, do. It would probably cost but the then same. The pro- well, no, it's going to cost right. more because the connection right now that I'm paying for is $200 a month at 400 gigabyte cap. If I were to get Man. another connection, that would be $400. And. So far, my bill was what? What did it say? It's like a nine. I think it was two o two thirty when it was all said and done with my overages. That's ridiculous. Man, I should have put this in the show notes, but I ran across this story of uh, the Sam Sam Juan Isles in Washington, uh, and they had CenturyLink for their service, and they were you know, down for 10 days at one time. And they said, hey, we can do better than this. So they built their own wireless network and they formed the nonprofit to do it. And they just said, mm-hmm. no, screw you, ISP. We will become our own ISP. And, uh, you know, I guess people of America, that's what we need to do. Right, And you could uh, totally do that uh, because you can buy direct from the tier one providers it's you got to get that critical mass because you got to be able to buy Mm -hmm. like a you know 150 megabit pipe and so which is thousands a month so you've got to be able to buy enough to spread out thousands a month yeah but there again we should be able to i mean it's ridiculous that you know i mean i understand paying for bandwidth in my area because we were technologically dead for many many years after the internet age turned on um but man, they're running fiber to new buildings at this point. Why am I spending two hundred dollars for a cable connection to the internet? Uh, good question. Well, because they uh, they are providing a service, and so they're making money off of that. They don't have to right. upgrade it. There's no other game in town. Yeah, the answer to that is because so they can. Plain and simple. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we don't well, have a. Our choice is prohibitively expensive. Our choice is to form our own co-op and bring ourselves our own ISP. So, you know, you have the technical knowledge to do that. Um, but where are you going to find enough people? Like the thing, this company, they had to have 50 homes 
in order for it to be financially um, beneficial. And so they got 50. They're up to 100 now. So what that means is the loan they took out, they're going to get it paid off faster. Um, and sure. because they're not trying to make money, they, you know, they're getting lots faster speeds and they don't have a cap. And, you know, CenturyLink is, <laughs> they're not going to upgrade their DSL. And uh, so, but, you know, how, how hard is that going to be? Because you can't do that because you've got a job to do to make money. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, our choice is prohibitively expensive. And, you know, I would have to basically get the whole town of Fruitvale together right. and say, hey, let's, uh, let, I'm going to create a nonprofit here and we're going to do high speed. Well, you know. And, and that story has played out uh, many times. Uh, it's yeah. gone. It's mm-hmm. uh, many times. Many ISPs exist now because of that very thing. But you're right. It, it, it takes two things: a critical mass of people and somebody willing to make that their living. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a yeah. Well, well and I that's mean, a the lot funny of- part is, is this was a co-op. This is a co-op I'm a part of right now. Wow, isn't then that you great? Need to get on the yeah. board. Yeah. But you know, there's not a lot of people who have the knowledge that they could run something like that. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, that's why most of these things yeah, are uh, either government-backed or government-owned. Or uh, you know, Nordic in the chat room is saying that uh, his thing is, in fact, government-owned. And Comcast took him to court to try to stop it, but shut him down. So, I mean, or lost. So, you know, the the people with the money don't want anybody else to have the money. And, and I can't be mad at him for that. I mean, I would be in the same boat, right? If I've got the money, I don't want other people to have the money. Sure. Again greed capitalism Mm -hmm. that we've allowed greed to be a synonym of capitalism and it's not and it doesn't have to be certainly in society then that's the root of our problems you say oh well that's capitalism at work no that's not capitalism at work that's greed corrupting capitalism so all right, so just a quick uh, update. The Zcast app uh, that is available only on my website and will not auto-update. Um, <clears throat> if you uh, are a fan of variable speed playback, it is here now. So go Sweet. go to elementopa.com, click the, the uh, link in any one of the most, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in any one of the recent show notes, and uh, you will get the app, and you can now go from point, uh, 5x to 3x. Um, and it works and it's good. So that's, that's probably the most requested feature. Uh, so it's here now, Zcast. And, and again, we still need people to, to, uh, hammer on it and test it. And if there's a, if there's a feed that you want added, um, we, we need to make sure that the owner of that feed is okay with it because again, you're creating a community around somebody else's content and we don't want to do that behind their back. That's why that currently you don't have the option to just add any arbitrary feed. Um, the, the owner needs to be aware that this community is developing around his content. Uh, so, uh, but you know, if you, if you know somebody who would, who you think would want to be part of it, uh, a part of an unstable beta app, check it out. Be sure you clear app data, uh, before you do the update because um, you may not get good results if you don't do that. So there you go, Zcast app, check it out. Uh, I'm you know, still rolling ever toward that uh, 1.0 release date, uh, but the more people we have testing it, the better. Yeah, cool. And Seth, what the heck is hard magic? Uh, well, this is a, Chris actually recommended this book a while back, and um, yep. I, um, I picked up a podcast that they serialize books uh, in, and so they serialize this one, and I listened to it, and I got to say, it's a freaking awesome book. Um, right. I, I loved it. I'm going to have to buy the others so I can read them. 
Um, but hard magic, Chris, you were right. It's a, the, the characters were awesomely written. The story was good, believable in its universe. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, it's an alternate history. If you like a detective kind of, you know, that uh, noir feeling, then this is going to be right up your alley. So it's awesome. So I liked it. Yeah, I had a lot. I had a lot of fun reading that one. And then the, there's also a couple of add-on uh, short books that go at the end of it, um, where they go on to, you know, the continuation of the story a little bit. So yeah, definitely, if you're going to go down that road, pick up the extra there. Shorter, much, much shorter books, but they're, they're, it's fun to hear it and find out what actually happened after the last book. Cool. Uh, so while we're on the subject of books, uh, I have just recently read two of, um, the Old Man's War series, The Old Man's War itself, and, uh, Ghost Brigade, The Old Man's War number two. Um, I gotta say, not that impressed. It was okay. It wasn't Wait. wasn't terrible. It was okay. There's a second book? Oh, there's uh, like six or seven in the series. Yeah. Now, is that the one where they like give up their body for this like superhuman body? Well, spoiler alert. Um, but yes. No, I mean, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I gave you chapter two. So. Actually, the end of chapter one. But yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's like saying that Mark Watney got stranded on Mars. Is a wait, wait, what? So. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the the Old Man's War series is uh, it's about a colonial war. Uh, Earth has been colonizing uh, other planets for a couple hundred years. And at the age of 75, you can be drafted into the colonial uh, defense force but nobody who goes there ever comes back and it's the you know it's the story of why that is so the second one was ghost brigades the third one is the last colony um then there's zoe's tale um and then there's uh you know just do a quick google search there you'll see that there's there's lots of them that have been uh sort of interspersed in there there's like a 1.5 that kind of got shoved in there later but there's lots of them in that universe um uh, it's not scalzi's best in my opinion but it's a fine read uh, it's fine. Uh, I felt that the first one didn't end. It just stopped. And I felt that the second one uh, suffered the opposite sin. They tried to wrap everything up too neatly. It was the Scooby-Doo me- mega happy ending. Uh, neither one of those uh-huh. made me happy. Uh, so, And I'm currently reading Almost Finished with a book called The Last Battle. It's a historical um, a tale of the uh, one, literally one of the last battles. We don't know when the last one was uh, of in uh, in Germany, where uh, German forces teamed up with American forces, knowing that they they had already lost the war and that uh, cooperating might help them in the post war uh, Europe. Uh, they go and actually are it's Nazis fighting or former Nazis fighting Nazis. Uh, great story, um, not such good deliver delivery um it's kind of dry and boring so i'm sorry i don't have two great reviews for you this week but that's what i've been reading cool i mean if you're really into hardcore history stuff you'll probably find enough in the last battle to keep you interested but uh, i found myself turning off the audiobook in favor of listening to music because it's just it's losing my interest oh i hate when that happens though uh, okay. Uh, I think we've covered it. Oh, Seth needs some new gear. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, I bought, I guess I've got my monies out of my router. I bought it five or six years ago, I think. But, you know, I have to reboot it. It seems like a couple of times a week. 
because I just lose connection. And at first I thought it was my radio tower. And so I would, you know, unplug the power strip that feeds them both. Uh, but then I was like, you know, because, uh, I tested it. And so all I have to do is just reboot the router and I have updated the firmware and it's still that. So I guess I'm going to upgrade from an N to an AC router. But you know me, I like to, uh, think long and hard before I spend money on myself. Mm. So I gotta, I gotta find a good one that is meets my price point but yep i'm looking to get me upgrade my wireless capabilities i've been very pleased with my buffalo router just really just as a uh a, it's almost two years old now and it's solid so there you go so yeah and i've had good i've always had good uh good experience with the azus brand yeah, those are very popular routers they look like spiders but if you can get past that they're they're good <laughs> Well, most of the time, I mean, I hide mine up right. in the rafters and stuff. So, you know, yeah, I just, you know, I read the reviews and they say, oh, this is a great one. But then it's like, but, you know, you can't review it after you've only had it for two days. Exactly. I hate you know, reviews that say, yeah. I just got it out of the box and it sure looks pretty. Yeah. Oh, it arrived in the mail. It's awesome. Yeah. Five stars. Yeah. And I'm like, but as I read them, I was like, you know, this, this bleepity thing, it has to be rebooted twice a week. And I'm just like, well, I'm not going to buy right. you, and um, you know, it's just so arg. There's, I need, I need me a good route. There's an XKCD uh, comic about reviews, and it's uh, about a tornado app. And there's 375 five star reviews that say beautiful, uh, uh, this most amazing app, simple to use, great, and one one star review that says did not warn of tornado. Um, and <laughs> and that's that's what happens is the the people who there go ew it's shiny you get three hundred five star reviews and then the one that you actually want to uh, to need to read you don't get to right yeah so the other thing Mark, Seth what about building your own router and then just getting a wireless access point well I mean I, that's what I need basically an access point so yeah we could I just need something that um allows me to lay on my bed with my tablet and yeah um, occasionally play facebook while i play spider solid <laughs> so yeah. i mean really that's the unfortunately that's what i do with my uh life at home so I, I, you know wireless router wireless access point to me it it doesn't matter it's sort of like saying i need a xerox copy right. so so uh, you know maybe maybe we could uh, put together some pie raspberry pi specs and software for you and make it a a project Ooh. Well, and then what? Stick a little wireless card on it yeah. and make that. I don't know. That probably wouldn't give good coverage, though. Because um, well, the the odds are that what your what you would be buying has a small add a, a, a ARM processor in it as well, like a Pi. Um, and just you know, just depends on what wireless card. It would end up costing you twice as much and being almost as good. Right. <laughs> yeah, I would have to get the external antennas right. um, because, you know, basically that's why you're getting the access point is for the MIMO technology that allows you to be able to be outside of your house and stuff and get it. MIMO, fancy words. Finding Dude. MIMO. Yeah, I had a, uh, like a dealing, when I was doing phone support and this was about the time that G was coming out, they came and uh, like a D-Link person, like showed us and, you know, broke it down with charts and how when the fields interact, it spikes the distances and all that. And it was like, it was really cool. And so 10 years later, that presentation is still with me. So I understand the value of MIMO. All right. Spell that. There you go. How do you spell MIMO? Uh, M-I-M-O. M-I-M-O. Multiple, mm-hmm. multiple yeah. in, multiple out. Yeah. 
just just for the audience. I I knew, of course. Um, So let's do a little bit of listener feedback. Uh, Just a couple uh, here. Uh, uh, Eric says, why do the letters in the show name have to mean anything? Talking about renaming the show, and I've, I've said I want to stick with EDL. He says, just call the show EDL and make up a random meaning every episode. Um, neat idea, <laughs> but I think on episode 499, um, it would be pretty darn... It's difficult enough to come up with a show title. Um, right. Doing that would be really rough. Um, It'd be fun, though. But we're not that creative. Right. Oh, on the topic, by the way, uh, you were talking about spending money on yourself last uh, Tuesday. Some way, one day this week, I ordered a Motorola uh, uh, X Pure uh, edition phone. Oh. So Moto X Pure. So that's going to be my new daily driver phone. After doing all the research and going around and around, uh, that's the one I decided to go with. And I'm going to be honest with you, there was one feature that sold it above all the others. And that is uh, the ability to uh, not only have uh, the OK Google on, the phones are going crazy because I said that, not only uh, being able to have that feature on all the time, but to be able to customize it, which is a, it's a, uh, I think there are a couple, Galaxy, Samsung has one you can do that. I think you can say, hi, Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, But Moto's the only one, as far as I know, that lets you pick anything you want it to be. Um, And that ability so that I don't have to say, because now we have three Android phones in my living room on an average day, and anytime somebody says, okay, Google, three phones and my watch, all listen up. Uh, so <laughs> I would that that thing right there, plus, I mean, it, when you go spec by spec, it's as good a phone as anything else. Uh, but the little tweaks right there that you can only get from a manufacturer are, in the end, what sold me on it. So I'll let you know what yeah. I think about it. Let me know, because I'm actually, that was the phone that I'm working at trying to squeeze enough of my pennies aside to actually get that one. So let me know, because I'm, I'm like this close of just going, swiping the credit card and saying, oh, I'll pay for it later. I know Quad HD is, is a big thing, 4K uh, screens, but why would I ever want that on a phone? Uh, I just can't imagine. Exactly. All it does is suck down battery life. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is uh, this is I think a two K screen. I'd, I'd have to look. I don't even remember. Uh, but it, it's uh, it's an LCD versus AMOLED. I really like AMOLED better. Uh, but you know, in the end, I made that choice to go with it. And another thing that really sold me on it was um, it's still using micro USB. And I understand the USB uh, C is the future, but it's not my present. I would have to rebuy everything I already own. Um, and right. so that makes a five hundred dollar phone a seven hundred dollar phone when I buy 10 chargers uh, for uh, every room in my house plus my car. On the other hand, if the phone would actually get me through a day without needing a charge, I wouldn't need 10 chargers. So maybe that's an, uh, a moot point. Um, but I've never well, owned a phone that could do that, that. With the other thing with that Moto, they have that quick charge. Right. So you should be able to go from zero to full in, or at least 80% within ten, what, 20 ten minutes. 10 minutes is what they say, yeah. 10 minutes yeah. yeah so does it matter if it doesn't last the yeah. whole day if you can recharge that quick but you got to have a quick charger enabled so again it's the, but yeah so that's the thing i i've never literally never in my life owned a smartphone that could get through an 18 hour day um and i know they exist my wife has one the one plus one gets her through you know it's it'll be 10 30 or 11 o'clock at night before it needs uh to recharge and my typical day starts at 5.30 to 6.30, depending on the day, and ends at uh, 10.30 to, or 11. So I need to be able to go, you know, 18 hours is, is solid. Uh, my watch never makes it through a day. Uh, it either dies or I have mm-hmm. to charge it throughout the day. And and my phone, 
this Nexus 5, which has never been known for battery life, on a typical commute, listening to podcasts or, or audiobooks, uh, and maybe running uh, um, navigation, maybe not, will we'll lose 30% just on the way to work. Um, so if you don't have it plugged in, right. Yeah. So I'm looking for, a f- and that was one of the things that sold me on the Moto X is, is it's, you know, all day battery life. That's what all anybody ever says about it, even the reviewers, but they all say all day battery life. So, um, mm-hmm. we'll see if that holds up. So these are the things that I intend to bring back to you to tell you if, uh, you know, let me be the, your canary in the coal mine. I know it's been out for a couple of months now. It's not the, the shiniest newest phone, but hopefully I can give you a substantive review in time for Christmas to buy for yourself or others. Cool. I'll be waiting f- with uh, bated breath. Yeah, don't eat a sardine. Don't don't have bated breath. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on a little, uh, another bit of listener feedback from uh, Paul. He says, show topic. When you introduced meeting miles episode, the volume wasn't up enough, and I heard reading minds. Uh, you guys like me surely have run into users who have something that's been broken for literally months, and when you ask them how long it's been dead, they say something like, well, I assumed you knew it wasn't working, and you'd get to it when you had a chance. Yeah, that could be a whole show. You're right. That could be a holiday show telling stories mm-hmm. about s- stupid end users like that. Um, well, it's just the pr- the point that communication is what is usually the biggest the biggest issue with any th- right. with any business or any household. Uh, and then uh, number two, he says, tagline for the new show, Down the Geek Hole, something that Seth mentioned many episodes ago with a nod to the Matrix. It was actually Chris who came up with that. Um, and uh, we immediately took it dirty. And I figured that's what everybody else is going to do. So that's why I've ruled that one out. <laughs> <laughs> we could say rabbit hole. Yeah. But then it'd be down the same problem. Right. Um. Let's see. Uh, ordinarily, I have these already into the show, but I had some some problems with my stupid internet, and so I don't have that done. So pardon me for not having this smooth tonight. Uh, Joseph uh, says that uh, he is part of the Android root problem. Listening to number 210, Seth brought up an article uh, that I could be responsible for malware because I rooted my phone. Two applications that I that I use that need root are Titanium Backup and Addaway from the F-Droid repository. I remember a show uh, or three ago when you were talking about advertising supported websites. At least I think it was your show. Um, it's because of the sheer amount of, of Spank the Monkey Flash ads that I run ad blockers on my desktop, laptops, and phones. I understand bandwidth costs money, but my screen is too small and my monthly allotment of cellular data too precious to waste it with advertising. To everyone, great job on the podcast. Keep up the great work. I would be curious. Um, the ads, in, I mean, he's trying to block the ads in the apps, right? That's the idea behind rooting and then running the ad away. Yes. So... The question then would roll into, are the apps that you have, do they have paid options that you could then not have the ads and not need to root your phone? I can answer for myself. Many of them do not. Ah, see. Yeah. I don't have very many apps that have no pay option. And so to, to, to come back to that moral versus ethical versus legal thing, is that not stealing the app? And and uh, Paul, I'm not. I think it was Paul. I've already closed the email. I, I I'm not uh, complaining to you because I in fact do the same thing. Only I don't use an ad blocker. I use a firewall. Um, and if the game is a self-contained app, 
that doesn't need internet access, which those are becoming fewer for the very reason that they they need uh, apps. Like there's uh, this motorcycle game I, I was playing for a while. Um, it wouldn't let you do certain things without being connected to the internet. Not because those things needed to be done, but because they needed to know they could shove ads. And uh, and I noticed mm-hmm. that they would cache the ads. So it, at some point they would download a bank of them. And so I would turn it back off in the firewall, do my thing, and notice that they would start running out. And, you know, it starts displaying a spot, you know, a broken uh, icon where the uh, the image should be, um, and then stuff would stop working. So you know, the game manufacturers, app manufacturers are, are becoming aware of that sort of stuff. The ad blocker too uh, that would would fix that to some degree because you're still connected. But it comes back to the the ethical question: Are you not stealing the app? If if like Chris says, there's a pay option and you're choosing not to pay it, or if there's not a pay option at all, isn't the moral thing to do simply not to use the app? Hmm. I would say so, um, but that's the way I try to live my life on it because it's it's one of those things where. If I have the option to get rid of an ad with a dollar or two dollar app, I'll pay it because I don't want to deal with the ads, and I want to pay the the developer so that way they'll develop more stuff that I'm probably going to download and pay the two bucks for. Yeah, Seth, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, here's the thing: I don't have a problem with ads. The problem is the crap that passes for apps and the crap reject that passes for ads, you know, are just, they're ridiculous. And it makes your whatever, whether you're talking a smartphone or you're talking a website or you're talking a tablet, it makes it unusable to use this program or website because of how crappy it's designed. It's a resource hog because it's not coded properly. The ads are just, crap because you know you could say flash or html they're designed to just be gaudy and take up and they aren't streamlined and so you know make a better product all the way around you know make better ads that don't destroy your product using them and then then we'll have a conversation that you know you say is it ethical not to use the ad or to try to bypass the ad by the same token is it ethical to shove crap down me because you can't. Well, that so. was an excellent case of redirecting the argument without actually answering the question. Um, but the question still remains, is it ethical? Is it not stealing to use an app that is ad supported without the ads and, and taking tech, uh, technical measures to block the ads? You could easily make the case, but it might be legal questionality, but whenever it's done in such a, slap shod fashion i don't think it's ethical okay so, i don't think so let me address it's ethical to let me address block. that point because uh i get what you're saying it sounds good in theory if the ads were better i wouldn't block them um and we see examples of that right the super bowl ads uh i've come back to that many mm-hmm. times um the super bowl ads are better and so people watch them in fact they go to youtube the deck the next day just to watch the ads so yes there are examples of the ads if they're valuable enough people won't block them but realistically i'm i'm just gonna lay my my hypocrisy out there and say uh even highly quality high quality relevant ads i would still find a reason to block them i would blame bandwidth i would blame uh uh, you know presentation i would still block the ads i would also call myself uh you know somewhat immoral for for doing so 
Um, so, you know, I, I can point my own finger of hypocrisy at myself, um, and that way I'm not pointing it at you. But I just, I think that it's a thing that we have to do, right? So I'm about to do an ad here in just a few minutes for DigitalOcean. And when I do that ad, I understand that a large percentage of the audience is going to skip over that. DigitalOcean understands that a large percentage of the audience is going to skip over that. That's the the way things are. Um, and I understand that. And they understand it's part of the, the way things are. But that's different. Skipping over it is entirely different than preventing it from ever coming. So if if somebody took this show clipped out the ads and redistributed it that would that would make me mad doesn't bother me at all that you skip forward over the ads but if you clipped it out entirely redistributed it uh then that would be wrong that would be altering the thing that would i would consider that immoral and when you have an ad blocker or a firewall or something is that not what you're doing you are actually short-circuiting the revenue method for the developer You are. You I mean, pretty I much totally nailed everything. understand what you're saying, but so you so know, you're I, right. It's a double-headed problem. Make better ads, yeah. and people will be less likely to trash them. But make better people, and ads will it won't be blocked too. So it's it's a it it is a, a, a two-headed coin. Yeah, and there's a lot Very of much. apps I don't put on my phone because when I go to install them. You're giving me permission to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this. And I'm like, your flashlight, you don't need to see the contents of my address book. You don't need to access. I mean, I know why they're doing it so they can. So the ad module they plug in can then see that place to attempt to get better ads to me. But it doesn't need to be done. And it's just because they can, they do. And, you know, I just flashlights example. You could pick anything. There's tons of stuff. They don't need that thing. And if I could streamline, you know, I don't root my phone. So I'm just like, crap, if I want this app, I have to take these permissions. Right. So no, thank you. Well, with Android Marshmallow, you don't have to anymore. So even Google has recognized that. But just today I was playing a a casual standing in line game. And one of the ads that came up was a um, a scantily clad woman with the the caption, uh, date uh, Latina's over the phone what makes that relevant to me now i understand that it perhaps is relevant to the mass market of people who play casual games right so your your uh your android people your the owner the people who are going to download this type of game it was a breakout clone right are probably uh males uh probably in their late 30s or 40s trying to recapture some of the youth of playing the original breakout game i get that i get all the marketing thing that goes behind that but it's a totally inappropriate for a married guy, happily married guy, with three kids and no reason to cheat on his wife. So that was a wasted ad on me, both sides. They wasted the 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 delivery and I wasted the reading of it. So if there were something better, it would make the experience more pleasant, but I still don't think people would stop blocking ads. Yeah. What about something like contributor? That's something that is that started and we haven't it's not taking critical mass right. yet but it's there i, I actually Would you guys be willing i actually signed up for contributor and then canceled my subscription because and it's probably wrong it's probably an early adopter problem uh it had so little effect on my browsing that i didn't see the two dollars worth of value out of it well the the problem though is if you're on a, the lower end of the the donation spectrum you don't get as many things blocked 
So the higher you are up in the monthly donation, the more things that get blocked. Right. But the thing there, another thing that I had a problem with that is, uh, correct me if I've misunderstood this, you sign up for the $5 a month plan, it's not up to $5. They immediately take $5 from you. And they may block thirty cents worth of ads, or they may block two fifty worth of ads, or they may block five dollars worth of ads. But you get five dollars taken out of your account either way. Right? Yeah, you're you're donating that to the to the pool. Right. So if you're a light then, phone user, or you know you're on vacation for a week and you don't you're not using it or whatever, it's still five dollars out of your account. So mm-hmm. those those reasons there, the fact that I was shucking out the money and seeing one or two or three at most a week ads that said, thank you for contributing to Google Contributor, I didn't feel it was worth the money. So I canceled my subscription. See, and I, I'm up at the $10 value. So I've, I, don't, I donate $10 every month. And there are some sites that I still get ads on because they're obviously not part of the contributor program. But like over at, I can go, let me pull up my, my thing really quick, just so you guys get an idea. While you're doing that, I think um, another part of the problem I had is like most people, um, I have two accounts because for, for a very long time, Google Apps did not work on your Android phone. So I have a Google account and I have a Google Apps account and I couldn't share the contributor between the two of them. So I'm, I would see blocked apps correct. here, uh, but, but not there. Um, and, and again, until they get that fixed, until they recognize there is one me, with two accounts and two accounts because you forced me to create two accounts, Google. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't see see it's worth the money. So. Easy. And at, at that point, I would totally agree with you. Um, since you're a dual user, you were in that, that boat where you're stuck. Um, I'm not. I'm only a single Google user. Um, but so like I go on to a couple of sites every day, like Boing Boing and APK Mirror and stuff like that. You know, and I've, I think I don't see any ads at all on those sites on Boing Boing or DSL reports or APK mirror. There's nothing there other than just their content. So for me, you know, I'm blocking, let's see in a week, I blocked over 56 ads on this, on those sites. So they've gotten, you know, uh, APK has gotten 11 cents this month from me. But that's eleven cents out of my ten dollars, not counting all the other sites that are listed as anonymous or you know, they're not being shown up. Right. So I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have to be willing to donate a larger percentage to get that larger percentage shown. Well, see, I, I'm I'm not seeing the value of that ten cents out of ten dollars. You know, um, one tenth. But that's just what they got. Right. That, you know that one so, site got. 11, but when you add it all up, is ten dollars worth of your money being used? It would be if I would see all of it, but I only see the ones the top the top contributors. Okay. You know, you only see the top what five, six. You see the top six of the ones that you've contributed to because remember, ads are done as a fire hose. You know, right. when they're spraying those ads out, you're you're getting. One hundredth of a cent per banner ad. Yeah, but here's the, the thing: the cost Google, is. Google has the metrics that they should be able to look at my usage on my phone and say, "You, your advertising was worth seven dollars and sixty-eight cents this month." So if I, you know, when I should be able to look at my history and see how much I would have needed to contribute that month to have not blocked ads. Maybe I need yes. to contribute a hundred dollars 
But maybe because I don't use my phone a lot, maybe I only need fifty cents. And Seth, I'm but pretty, it's, well, it's I'm not, pretty sure the reason that they're not doing that is because they know that of the ten dollars, the average person is actually using two or three dollars, um, and right. and they don't want to expose those metrics yet because they're hoping that the market will catch up with them. I get that, but it's 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 the early adopter problem. I really truly felt like it was wasted money, um, and you know, it, it may be. But you know, I, when when it comes to the sites that I'm visiting, the fact that I don't see a single thing and I don't have ad blockers on, it's amazing. So once I think it takes off and hits critical mass, and we start having you know everybody doing it, I think there'll be a big difference. And I I really am looking forward to that day when that can actually show up. Yeah, and it, it could be you know like we were just talking about the being part of the problem. It could be that because I'm not willing to throw my my money down first and and look for value later, that it never comes to pass. Yeah, could yeah. be. It's possible. I mean, anything's possible. But I mean, it was an experiment for me when I got accepted a contributor to, to see what level do I need to be at to see enough to have mo- enough ads removed that I don't have a bad experience. And so for right now, it's been $10, and I don't have a problem with $10. Okay. Uh, So now on to the uh, promised ad for DigitalOcean. You guys have heard me talking about them for several months now. I don't think I need to go and uh, do all kinds of um, detail and expository about them. If you need a virtual server, if you need more than your average uh, uh, shared hosting can get you, uh, you owe it to yourself to check out DigitalOcean. They're high-quality uh, virtual servers. They call them droplets. Uh, but their real their claim to fame is really two things, uh, um, high availability and high speed. So they have uh, networks uh, or data centers all across the country. You can actually pick um, where your server would like to be. So for performance, if you want one closest to you, you can do that. Um, or if you want you know, super redundancy, have it far away, you can do that too. Or you can pick uh, pick and choose between them. But you fire up a, a VM in um, you know, 50 seconds to, to create a new one or less than that to, to spin up one that's already been saved. And you're, you're working on KVM, so which is near bare metal performance with hex core machines with everything is SSD. So it's lightning fast storage. Everything is connected by gigabit or better network speed. Uh, you can have private networking or public networking if you want. There's a simple API available if you're a developer, not really interested in the servery stuff, just need a place to interact with your app. You can do that. Um, all kinds of great stuff. One click installations. You want Drupal bang done. You want own cloud bang done. You want WordPress bang done. You don't have to know how to do all that now i don't want to sell that as webs uh, web servers for dummies because if you don't know how to install a drupal you probably shouldn't have your own virtual server just being honest with you but being able to knowing how to do it being able to do it and wanting to do it for yourself are two different things so if you could do a one-click install there's no reason you wouldn't but uh, I don't want people to go out there and set up a server that ends up becoming an infected zombie because they didn't know what they were doing. Uh, but it's 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 really uh, totally affordable. Anywhere from $5 to like $300 a month, depending on what you want. The $5 plan, you get half a gig of RAM, a single core processor, 20 gigs of storage, and again, that one terabyte of, of transfer per month. And more than that, it's... Uh, three cents per hundred gigs i think something like it uh, i'd have to look it up to be exact but it's cheap if you go over your cap uh but that's a five dollar plan the ten dollar plan i think is is the sweet spot for the average small user if you're just wanting to host a wordpress blog or something like that um that's a gig of ram a single core processor 30 gigs of storage and two terabytes of transfer um 
but it scales with you. You're not going to, if you hit your cap, they're not going to cut you off. They'll send you a warning and then they'll start charging you. If, if you're like me and, and getting your content out there is the single most important thing, then that's what you want. Uh, you want them to deliver first and worry about payment later. Uh, instead of cutting you off, which is what you know, what a lot of shared hosting people will do, especially even those offering unlimited hosting, you'll find out what unlimited actually means once you hit their limit. Uh, so check it. But but because DigitalOcean uh, knows that that people like to try before they buy, they will give you a ten dollar credit if you go to um, uh, elementop.com slash DigitalOcean or use the uh, the keyword Everyday Linux uh, when you sign up. Uh, you will get a ten dollar credit. So $10 with that $5 a month plan, I'm a little fuzzy on the, uh, the hard math there, but I'm pretty sure that's two months free. Um, if you do the, the $10 plan, that's one month free. So you, I think, Mark, that depends on if you're a product of Common Core education oh, okay. or if you've done something like Khan <laughs> In Academy that case, it's learn. three cats plus a dog divided by a rat. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, so that's, uh, uh, th- that's literally putting their money where my mouth is. They're testing. They're letting you test the service, decide if you like it before it costs you a penny. DigitalOcean.com. Check them out. I wouldn't bring them to you if I didn't believe in them. I tested them before I brought them to you. They approached me. I said, hey, I got to vet this. I talked to other people about it. I tested it myself. I'm running a server on their servers right now. I believe in them enough. I'm confident enough in them to actually put my stuff out there. So I'm not telling you to do something I wouldn't do. DigitalOcean.com. Use the code Everyday Linux to get your ten dollars credit. Uh, okay. Now, go. having said all of that, let's jump in at at long last, an hour into the show, into some news. <laughs> uh, so, th- this one is interesting. There's uh, there have been a lot of uh, news stories recently uh, about um, Apple and and malware. And, you know, the fact that it's continued uh, up to five times and uh, what it has been and iOS and the page isn't loading, so I'm continuing to vamp. But I'm assuming that this thing that Seth is going to talk about has something to do with an update because of that. Well, um, you know, Apple, of course, the strength and what makes them so awesome is they control they, they control you from start to finish. They have the hardware, the software, the apps, the advertising. And all of that kind of stuff. So you have a perfect experience who never has any problems. Everything works flawlessly at the first time. Well, of course, that's what Apple promises. Yeah. So, um, no, they've recently, um, pushed out an update. Um, and you know, the problem is, I don't know. It's not news. Everybody does bad updates, but their updates are causing problems and reintroducing problems that their previous updates have done. Like alarms not uh, working. Yes. So, um, you know, that was another problem again. And so here it's been 33 days and they've pushed out another update. And where was it at here? It says that normally they do. Um, oh, well, crap. I can't. I can't find it. I had it on here. I don't remember what I was going to say, but it was going to be awesome. No, they're, um, <laughs> you know, this, this is the thing. Apple is, they're becoming a victim of their own success. They're rushing products out the door, and so they're rushing updates to fix those, and then those updates aren't working, and so they're having to rush more updates. And they don't have anyone to blame it on but themselves because they're in charge from start to finish. So it's not that they haven't done. Apple tends to release just five to eight updates a year, and um, you know they've already done one in 35 days and one in 33 days. So again, my math is fuzzy, but that could be about 10. Um, 
And these aren't like introducing new things. These are fixing problems that they introduced. So, and I, again, and I just want to say that while trying to read this article, I have seen the same ad four times. Every time I scroll down past a certain part in the page, I get a new ad. Um, this is a problem, Forbes.com. And this is the reason people run ad blockers. I can't, I literally cannot perform my function on this show because of your stupid ad. Yeah. That's all I got to I, say. I have pretty little, I have pretty little bubbles all over it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because <laughs> you're running an ad blocker, right? And I have chosen nope. or, uh, or what it's contributor. Okay. Contributor. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the same sort of thing. Right. But the problem is with this poorly des- designed thing that I, I get a pop over. Right. But as I'm scrolling through, it blanks out the whole thing and shows me an ad. And then I have to wait three seconds and go back. This is and then this is not okay. Also, yeah, a lot of what they'll do is you'll start scrolling down, and then they will insert a flash ad, or maybe it's HTML, mm-hmm. but they'll insert a video in the middle of the page. So you scroll down below it to where the text is going, and then when the video finishes playing above you, it shrinks back down, and so what you were reading jumps off the page. I don't understand. I would make a CEO sit down. I say, use your site. You know, and just every time they touch the mouse to avoid, I would just like, I would get a ruler and hit them on the knuckles and say, stop it. You know, <laughs> this is your dog food. You eat it. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Um, so while I install an ad blocker so that I can t- continue to do the show, Seth, talk about how the EU <laughs> is trying to kill net neutrality. Yeah, unfor- I was kind of, I was really shocked about this one because normally the EU seems to be displaying occasional intelligence about um, networking and computerized type stuff, but they just passed a document that basically says, you know, there's a fast lane and a slow lane of the internet and it's okay because the telecommunications people told us that's what we needed in order for the net to function good. So, you know, bye-bye net neutrality, hello internet fast lane and bend over people because here it comes. I, I don't understand how they passed it. Uh, hopefully, you know, in the regulators, it will get shot down. But this, I think, is a dark day for the Internet. Well, fortunately, the EU doesn't really affect that many people. Uh, right. It's just Europe. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. just all of Europe. Um, right. And, you know, and uh, unfortunately, when some major, you know, granted, any particular country of the EU doesn't have the population of America, but when you add them all together, it's pretty comparable. Yeah. Uh, when one major country or group of countries does something, it tends to trickle out to the others. And so it's like the EU has now made net neutrality that much stronger uh, a push in America. So again, I don't understand. I don't understand how that how it passed. But By the way, Adblock Plus installed, reloaded the Forbes page, came up right away with eight things blocked by Adblock Plus. So I was trying to be a good guy and trying to to live my life uh, in such a way that I'm not stealing from people, and they actually made it impossible for me to to read this article. Uh, not difficult, mm-hmm. impossible. I literally could not access the content until I installed a, an Adblocker. So this is the problem. I would say. I would say if you're going to use an ad blocker, though, don't use the ad block plus. Use uBlock. I had uBlock into Origin running, and it didn't, really? didn't stop it because it was originating from their site. 
Oh. I guess maybe I had my, when I was testing uBlock Origins, I had it turned up a little higher. But So anyway, back to, back to this thing. Net neutrality is never going to happen. It's, uh, or it is happening technically, I guess. It's going to be killed uh, for the same reason yeah. that all the moneyed interest will kill it. And it's just the fact of life. Uh, you know, it's the same reason the whole SOPA, CISPA thing, they keep coming back. It's a many headed beast. The, you cut, uh, you know, one head uh, dies, two heads rise. It's a hydra. Um, and it's, uh, yep. it's, there's no way around it. As much as I would like to sit here and rail and foam and spit into the microphone, I just don't have the energy. Um, as the UK goes, so will go the US. And eventually we'll go down this lane and we'll realize what a terrible thing we've done. And hopefully we'll be able to drag, uh, drag ourselves back out of it. But I don't know. It's a pretty slippery slope. And it's one of those things where I think it's going to, eventually it's going to take us down. You know, where internet is going to be fast lane and slow lane, and we're all just going to have to bend over and pay for it because that's what's going to happen. You know, when I was, uh, when I was first getting online out where I live, there, there were, I, I refuse to do satellite just because I, I hate them with a passion. Um, it probably <laughs> rivals or exceeds my passion for hating Apple. But so I chose dial up. Now, in the early days of the web, you could do dial up because websites realize, Hey, a lot of home users have dial up. And so it's okay. Uh, you know, websites were playing and, you know, there weren't flashy things and there weren't 10 gigs worth of ads for every page you went to. But, and then, you know, I went for a while where I had a job and I didn't need it. But anyway, and then when I tried to do dial up again, I couldn't do anything because every page I went to, would not load, would not load. It would take forever to load because the web was optimized for broadband because most of the country and, you know, access things via broadband. And so you could mm-hmm. still te- theoretically get online with dial up. And it's what's going to happen is the fast lane, slow lane is going to be the same thing. Everything is going to be designed for the fast lane. And oh, well, you can still access it with this regular plan. Theoretically, technically, if you're willing to wait 20 years for the plain Google page to load, um, it's it's a bad deal. It is bad for people, and that makes it bad for business because they're going to isolate their consumers. And one day, I don't know when, but I have this thing that one day the American consumer is going to rise up and realize, wait a minute, I don't need to throw good money at this, and I can do without it. And if that day ever happens, net neutrality would be over in a heartbeat. So, well, what what you're talking about though is is almost as utopian as businesses not being jerks about it. You know, like like you said, the mm-hmm. we've conflated the ideas of capitalism and greed. We we have institutionalized greed in the name of capitalism. Uh, in the same way, we have inter- institutionalized apathy in the name of convenience. Um, and so, people are going to take whatever is shoved down their throat because it's the path of least resistance. I so want to disagree with you, but I would be disagreeing you with you on a hope that it could possibly be different, not on anything that happens or exists in reality. So, right. I'm, I'm a very optimistic person by nature, but I have no optimism at all regarding where the internet as, as it is, is going. Now we can't break the internet, right? But what we can break is the web. 
And that's what we're in the process of breaking. Um, and so there's always going to be this alternative internet out there. There's always, you know, these guys like, like we were talking about that, that set up their own, uh, ISPs, right? These things are going to happen and you will have a way to get, um, a, a neutral network. You will pay more for it. Um, it won't be as good. Um, uh, it'll be, you know, but it'll be there. It'll be available to you. Uh, but the frustrating yeah. thing is path of least resistance, right? The, the people are going to just going to buy the iPhone because the, the commercials told them to buy the iPhone and they're going to accept, mm-hmm. uh, the, the slower fa- things. And, and so businesses are going to pay the price of this. Netflix is going to pay to be in the fast lane because they can't, they can't afford not to. So it's not going right. to come down to us. We're not going to have to pay for a faster thing. But instead, Netflix is going to go from $7 a month to $18 a month. And it'll happen in steps. And it'll all be because we, the sheeple, gave up the free uh, open internet. And now we're paying the price because everything internet related is going to triple in value because now we have to pay for the fast lanes, which we're, the fast lanes now uh, is defined as the thing that used to be everybody is now a fast lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like there's the regular lane and the fast lane. There's the regular lane and the piece of crap you get if you give us grief. Right. So, uh, you know. <laughs> it would be unfortunate if something should happen to your fast lane status. Um, and, you know, you're going to have a couple of, you know, greasy guys going door to door for protection money. Only the version of it is going to be a digital version saying, we've noticed that you're using an unusual amount of bandwidth. And if you like to continue using our service... Level three says uh, that everybody uses. Akamai says yep. that everybody uses. Well, you're going to have to pay for this uh, enhanced service. Enhanced being we won't throttle you. Much. That's exactly where it's going to yeah, be. If, if in order to enhance something, you don't do something, that's wrong. If the enhancement is refusing to, to, to do something, that's not an enhancement. It's, a, it's an extortion racket. And, and I don't have any faith at all in either American or European or global business uh, people who are who are controlling the pipes, I don't have any faith in them not to become extortionists because they're the, that's the only reason you would want this law. The only reason you would want this law is so that you can be an extortionist. Mm-hmm. There's no logical reason for it. They've, they put out all these straw men arguments about performance monitoring and network tuning and all that BS. It's all garbage. You, they, they, have, they already have the extortionist mindset. They're just trying to legalize it. So what makes me think that once it's legal, they're not going to do it? They're selling us, the people, a load of crap. And it would be one thing if the people cared. We don't. And so by and large, the, the people who we've elected to, to uh, represent us in this case are representing us. They're both ignorant and apathetic. And they're representing their, their constituents who are ignorant and apathetic. Very much so. I- Again, I would love, I want to disagree with you, but I can't even formulate the words without laughing of the absurdity of what I'm saying. Because, and the sad part is, most people don't know, and they don't know they don't know, and they don't care that they don't know. They're just have we yep. understand, but again, I guess we, we don't care geeks. really too much either. We as so. geeks understand. Yep. But even our, it's my deep. understanding, you know, and I'm, I am conceitedly going to say i have a greater understanding than a the 90 plus percent of the people in the world my understanding is faulty and shallow by comparison right and i know enough to be enraged about it but not enough to offer any kind of reasonable solution 
That's what we need. We need a reasonable solution that satisfies the the avarice of the business leaders and the apathy, good, good old alliteration, of, of the people. So how can we get avarice and apathy to coexist without avarice destroying apathy, which is always what happens? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I can foam into a microphone, but it doesn't change anything. And right. and right now there are you know between hundreds and thousands of people raising their fists as I go, go get mad and go yeah but it's meaning nothing it means that if if one hundred percent of my audience here wrote a letter to their congressman it would mean nothing I don't have a big enough audience and they don't care enough about you yeah well uh, there's also in you know not not to bring up the corruption side of of things but how much of it is how much lobbyists is getting right is you know how much lobby money is being thrown around to get things the way they are we the internet killed sopa pippa came around we the internet killed pippa sispa but came not around. quite as dead. right sispa came around we the internet did not kill that because there's only so much outrage you can only tap outrage yep. so many times and then you run out of of outrage right and then what so it's just yeah. it's just a matter of time before this becomes the law, the global law of the land. And you know, and it's sad because the people in office are by and large at least above intelligent people. But they're most of them are lawyers, you know, or you have doctors, or occasionally a business person, but that seems rarer and rarer. They're not the technological gurus, uh, you know, the, the people who, you know, did a Xerox park, they didn't run for office. You know, they, they, they bought their yachts after building the internet and kind of cashed out of society. And so, uh, and I'm, there's nothing wrong against them, but the problem is the people who's the intelligent leaders that are there are not intelligent in any way in technology related fields. And so they're listening to the big businesses of technology give their spiel and their straw man arguments as to why the laws need to protect them, you know, um, and anything that may or may not be legal today, we need to make it illegal because it's cutting into our profit margin. So, yep, I totally agree with you. I just, I'm, I'm depressed now. I don't even want to do the rest of the show. I'm depressed. <laughs> So that's no good. So since I'm depressed, let's talk about something that impresses me. And I'm consistently impressed by the quality and the, the uh, concern of the folks over at the Linux Academy. Uh, these are quality people who produce a quality product, and I'm happy to talk to you about them. LinuxAcademy.com is their, their stated goal. Their, existing, their reason for existence is to take you from being uh, a, a, uh, an interested guy who knows a little bit about computers to somebody who, uh, capable and, and worthy of a Linux uh, system administration. But they, they've expanded so much more beyond Linux now. Uh, the problem is they can't change it to Linux and AWS and uh, programming and Perl and Python, uh, Academy.com. That's a little long. So just know that the linuxacademy.com got got their got started in Linux. It's the bedrock of what they did much like this show, but they have grown beyond that and they're now linuxplusacademy.com. They're well 
that that's probably a real thing but uh, they're now so much more than that but the core of their business is still the same step-by-step video courses uh, by experts in the field um, produce high quality content the the video courses are are accompanied by uh, study guides that are so you've got the visual and you've got the the reading and the writing but my favorite part always will be the practicum the the because the real value the real way you learn new stuff is by putting it into practice and watching what happens by doing things wrong enough that you know how not to do things wrong thomas edison once said an expert is a man who's made every mistake possible in a narrow field if you want to be an expert in linux you have to make a lot of mistakes you need a safe place to do that linux academy gives you that in the form of their labs where you can have up to four machines running simultaneously um destroying each other if you need in a safe environment where at the push of a button all your sins are washed away and you start over again with a nice clean environment that in my opinion is invaluable combine that with the community that, that they've built there, the the sense of family between the, the learners and the teachers. Um, it's a great place to go and I'm proud every mo- uh, week to come here and tell you about linuxacademy.com. You get all this great stuff for $29 a month. Um, I notes don't have the updated prices, but I'm pretty sure it's $29 a month. Um, somebody oh, quick, sorry. go I, look at that. I, <laughs> I copied the notes and not the last show, so you never updated the notes. Yeah, so their prices have recently gone up from $25 a month. I'm pretty sure $29 a month, but like anything else, the more you buy, the less you pay. You get a, an immediate $10 break if you buy quarterly, and if you buy annually, you end up paying less than $19 a month. So uh, check them out, but the good thing is that if you go to the uh, Linux Academy, or excuse me, the Everyday Linux link, linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, or use the code everydaylinux when they ask, hey, how'd you find out about us? You pay the old prices. You get a special break, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what those are. It's a secret for you to find out yourself. But even the $29 a month price, which is really low, isn't what you'll pay if you use the Linux, the code Everyday Linux when you sign up. Check them out. Um, we're grateful that they've decided to support the show for one more month here in, in November. We're happy to, to as, that as their business grows, we see the, see the benefit of it. And we, we hope we've been some small part of it. So uh, Linux Academy, Anthony, those guys, they're great guys, and we're happy to talk about them. All right. So now I feel a little better, a little better about uh, the state of the world because I know there are good people out there doing good things. Digital and Ocean. look up. The price yes. is marked twenty nine a month, sixty nine a quarter, two twenty nine a year, right. without our link. Right. Good. Thank you, Seth. Um, and you'll be updating those notes while I'm talking about this, right? Uh, so no, uh, that's that's all on me because I didn't do, I didn't get the notes done in time, so Seth had to go grab a copy, and that's what happens. Um, so um, I had a lead, and there were some of those who say I can't remember what it was. So Google. Um, their reach they like to reach they like to do big and so now they're they're making a name for the desktop and and they're they're going going at it in the way that google does piecemeal and a little at a time and beta yeah well and there was a a news story that came out that said google was killing the chrome uh os because they're making a push to get android on the desktop and so that is not the case uh what they're doing is they're fighting a two-front war to try to unseat Microsoft's dominance of the desktop. They're still going to support Chrome OS, but at the same time, they are also trying to make the push out there and release to the OEM guys Android for the desktop. So your computer in the, the living room or your laptop or whatever 
can run Android, which in a lot of ways, you know, you're on your phone all day, so it's the same interface. But, you know, then again, if they're going to focus on two OSs, is either one of them going to be as good as if they just went with one? Interesting. Well, I always was a big proponent, proponent about this for some people's computers that I've was that they asked the question and for the, the users that I, that or the people that have asked me this, I was like, you know, I'll get a Chromebook. You're in Chrome all day long anyway. So it's interesting that they're going to make a push for the desktop now. You know, I think calling Chrome OS, and I know they call it an OS, isn't really a misnomer. It's really a misnomer. It's not really an OS. It's a, it's a shell that wraps their Google products. So, you know, I think they have a very small team doing that, and they're dedicated to education and business, uh, people who don't need full functionality but need lots of management. So I don't see this being, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, you called it a, a, a two-front war. Um, I don't think that their goal is to expand Chrome OS beyond what it is. They're happy with what it is, but they want Android to be. And I think you nailed it, Seth. The things that we do on our phone are the things we do on our desktops. Why in the world should we have two sets of hardware to do it? Uh, lots of people right. have, have had this goal, right? The, remember the Motorola, Motorola Atrix, I think, in 2011? that uh, it was a phone yep. that plugged into a dock. It, it wasn't yep. a good phone and it wasn't a good computer, but the model has been around for a while. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, we talked about, uh, you know, the Raspberry Pi. There are lots of things out there running um, ARM, uh, and uh, there are also phones running Atom and running x86. So the, the lines have been boring for a while now. And so I think the issue, what, what, what concerns me about this is what started to bring Microsoft down was their idea of run on everything. Once they started, you know, they were going to run on the on the, the the x86 chipset. They were going to run on the Alpha chipset. They were going to run on DeX. That that took them down a spiral of this legacy code that they had to support forever. And it took them uh, through really really Vista uh, Seven. Vista tried it paid ha- uh, uh, lip service to dumping it, but it really wasn't until Windows Seven that they got away from that and said, "Okay, we run on x86. That's what we run on." So Android is designed for ARM. So either they're going to be working on ARM hardware for the desktop, or they're really, I think, going to be chasing down the wrong rabbit and trying to to make uh, Android as stable on uh, x86 as it is on ARM. What do you think? You know, I. It depends, really. I don't know what they're going to do, but if they were, if they're releasing ARM, pro- because you don't need as big a processor to get the functionality in Android as you do in Windows, so you don't have to have a quad core i7 with four thousand terabytes of RAM to load a web page because you've got this crappy little app that you launch now to do everything. So it's more of a push to take the advertising revenue and the metrics for Microsoft, because if you're not using IE, you know, you're using Android. So then they get all the more information about you. Sorry, I'm beating my, uh, my mic stand up here. Um, you know, in a one ways it's kind of a win for them and it's, it's a win for consumers because you don't need as beefy hardware to do the things. But again, it's bad for consumers because what this will do is further kill the killer app that is the web browser and instead it's going to be a bunch of little apps doing Mm. stuff and you know my opinion on apps are they're crappy ripoffs of awesome web pages so you know i just see it as a way to deprive microsoft 
you know, they're, they're, they're trying to play whack-a-mole on Microsoft and beat them down and become the dominant computing platform. So if you're using Android OS on your tablet, on your smartphone, and on your desktop, then Google has you locked in. I, I have some thoughts on that, but I'm going to let Chris speak first. What are, what are your thoughts, Chris? It's an interesting play because uh, the idea of Google controlling everything that we do scares me in a way, but we've drank the Google Kool-Aid pretty much down to the dregs of the pitcher now, so it's just another step for them to take over our lives, right? Yep. See, that doesn't that doesn't bother me as much because the core of Android is open. The goodies, right, right Gmail, Maps, all the stuff that you care about, um, aren't. So I accept that. But because of those goodies, phones have come a long way. It's been a long time since PCs have made a leap of any kind. So if, if Google is sure. going to start focusing their goodies on the, the x86 platform, that can only be good for that platform. Uh, I've said for, gosh, probably 10 years now that every computer you buy is overpowered for what you need. Um, mm-hmm. Really since the Pentium, uh, the second generation Pentiums, definitely since the i-series, um, nobody has needed the power of anything they bought. Uh, and of course, that's a, a ex- exaggeration. Um by by nobody, I'm talking the 80-20, right? 80% of the people need 20% right. of the machine that they've got. Um, yep. The other 20% of us, we need something more powerful. I'm frustrated every day with my i3 and i5 uh, machines wishing I had a full i7. Um, but that's me. You know, I do stuff that other people don't do. I push my hardware. Most people mm-hmm. go and buy um, the latest generation i7 quad core, uh, three gigahertz machine, and then play Spider Solitaire on it. Um, and so for a long time, um, there was this battle where where software was pushing hardware. We've got to get better hardware so we can have better software. And then hardware would advance, and then software would abandon all of their um, uh, efficiencies that they had developed to work on constrained uh, soft uh, hardware, and they would just go hog wild, and they would get great new stuff, but it was bloated. So hardware couldn't advance, so software had to get svelte and lean uh, a little more. And then hardware would advance, and then they would abandon all the good coding practices. And so this went on for two decades. Well, now we're at the point where software can be as bloated and crappy as, as it needs to be. We don't have to care about good coding anymore because the hardware is way more than anybody needs. Um, so we, we have supercomputers in our laps, all of us. So if, if Google is going to tap that supercomputer and make some good things happen in the same way that they tapped the phone and made some good things happen, I'm excited about it. And it doesn't scare me that they're going to take over the world because I've already surrendered my higher brain functions to Google. So I've, I'm, you know, exactly. I'm already mainlining the Kool-Aid. I have, a, I have a central line in my chest that just pumps it straight in there. Uh, so you know, but because of that, I'm not worried about it. But I am excited about what uh, a multi-billion dollar company run by engineers can do for this underused machine that we all have. Right. It's a, it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen and if they can get the critical mass to to uh you know to kick Microsoft out the door and would technically then would we be in the the year of the Linux desktop because Android is Linux? Linux is Android? Well, Android is an OS that runs on Linux. So, you know. <laughs> So we win, victory. 
Yay! <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there is a Linux kernel in there somewhere. So yes, but it's not the the Linux desktop. Um, I think we can say goodbye to the year of the Linux desktop. It's never going to happen. Yes, I said it here on Everyday Linux. The year of the Linux desktop is never going to happen. We will have uh, victories such as the Linux kernel powering other stuff, and I think that's good. That's fine. But the you know the GNU desktop, the 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 KDE desktop, the GNOME desktop is never going to be the primary way that people interface with computers. Just not going to happen. We've had thirty years and we couldn't do it. It's not going to happen. We had a good run. It was great. I use it. The 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 twenty the, not even twenty footers. The the ten percenters use it and we're happy with it. But uh, it's never going to be more than that. It's going to take too bad. Google to create an overlay on that to put it into the hands of the masses. Mm-hmm. It's going to take Apple. That's what Apple did, right? BSD. They took that, yep. um, essentially a, a Linux core, and they made it so sexy. And what was the term they used back in 2007? Lickable, I think was what Steve Jobs said on the stage. They made it so lickable that, that people handed over thousands of dollars for a free OS. Um. And yeah, it's crazy, you know, isn't it? and it worked. And if Google can bring just one tenth of that magic to the desktop, I'll be excited about the the desktop world again. I haven't been excited about the desktop in a very long time. Well, you know, Miles was talking, and we're we're idiots for even caring about uh, the actual computer because it's moved on to the Internet of Things. Right, is where the future mm-hmm. is. So, right, we've abstracted the OSI uh, model one step farther. Right, so we we started with the with the physical layer, and we've moved on up to all the way up, and now the that seventh layer is the web, right, and 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 the eighth layer is the brain, um, and that's that's the most buggy layer yet, uh, but yeah, I think I think all we've done is we just expanded expanded that layer to the internet, the internet of things, the web, um, and that is a field ripe for development in the same way that you know in 1978 the Ethernet revolutionized the physical world. We're still looking for the internet of uh, the Ethernet of the the web. There's not there there still hasn't we're still token ring in in the web right we're still really early days and nobody has revolutionized it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if I were going to put my money on a big company, it would be Google. But honestly, I don't think it's going to be a company. I think it's going to be a a kid who you know is in middle school right now. Somebody who comes de- up with develops a beta and then cashes it out. You know, they run it as a startup. And then it gets pawned off to some company to do nothing with. They just bought up their competition. Wow, that was that was dark. You just took my optimism that, to a dark place. Yeah, that's how. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Utopia and dystopia collided in the world of myopia right there. <laughs> <laughs> Lots so, of opias there. <laughs> So I think we're going to stop there. Seth, was there anything that you wanted to discuss that we didn't get to that I just have to do? I just I just thought the NASA story was pretty cool. Okay. So if you're into working for modern space age uh, stuff that's never been done before, it's very important that you learn a 50-year-old programming language. Yes. Well, because wow. um, the last original member of the Voyager crew and of course of the the crew that supported voyager has retired from nasa and so it's going to be uh up into the 2020s while until um the onboard radio scope um generators don't function and they can't communicate with it anymore but the problem is everybody today 
knows these higher level programming languages. You know, you talk about C++ or Ruby or you just name any language. Nobody knows assembly and nobody knows Fortran. And that's what they need in order to communicate with the Voyager probes because they were built so cut. They were built with cutting edge technology from 40 plus years ago. And so that cutting edge technology is in the history books today, you know? And so you can have a programmer who is great at their job and they wouldn't know Fortran, you know? Um, so it's like, if you took a modern car mechanic and you took them back and had them work on the model T and it's like, where's the computer interface? I don't, I don't know how to work on this car. Um, it's kind of the same thing. And so, you know, if, if you want to get, you know, if you want to get in with NASA, maybe develop some mad programming skills with uh, Fortran and assembly. There you go. And Talk you know, some- that is the essence of legacy hardware, right? Right. Mm-hmm. We can't just go make an, a firmware upgrade on that sucker. Right. Uh, it's outside the Kuiper belt at this point. That's a heck of a long uh, uh, house call. Right. Yeah. Geek squad's not going to reach them. <laughs> But the good news is sorry for you could probably uh, emulate the firmware on a Raspberry Pi. So you could download it and, and practice it on your, you know, uh, your, when you're not playing Minecraft. Right. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but that, that is, you know, it's, a, it's the thing that has been true for a long time is, is when something moves on, it leaves stuff behind. And then we have a dearth of people who know how to do it. Like, for example, I heard a great example of this. Um, we don't know how to build interstates in the U.S. anymore. We know how to repair them. But in the 50s, when Eisenhower uh, said we were going to do this whole interstate thing, we built whole new machines that could lay six lanes of asphalt in a single pass. We don't know how to do that anymore. That, inf- that knowledge was lost. We could do it again, but we'd have to spin up. And so there's so many things that have fallen huh. away uh, like that. The Voyager, there's no way that the Voyager communication is lost to us. We'll always be able to do it, but for generations we're going to have to be spinning up over and over again. We you know, we're going to have to learn how to blacksmith every generation. Somebody's going to have to, you know, f- have a, a bellow-fired forge and a hammer uh and relearn the art of blacksmithing because it's something that we've lost as a culture. It's sad when you think about that, isn't it? That we're going to end up having to relearn and redo so much because we've moved too far forward without bringing any of the past with. But, you know, the the past is incompatible with the present so many times. Right. Until you need it. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you've got, you know, that's why it's so important that we, we, we guard our stuff. You know, one of the things that scares me is we digitize things. There are no, now whole, not just books, whole industries that are, are being created and published and distribute, distributed without ever being on paper. Now, I don't love paper, but um, paper never suffered from a format change. Right. Nobody ever went to their book and said, oh, this is, this is the old format. I can't read this book anymore. So is, is paper the solution? I don't think so. But we need to be thinking in terms of generational archives, and we're not. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we could, you could go to, you know, the remains of a, of a thousand year old library. And if you spoke the language in which the, the scrolls were written, you could do it. It it has survived the test of time in the most literal sense. None of our existing technology can survive a thousand year test of time. 
because we haven't. No. We've been so interested. Just like we talk about security, right? We build it first, then we figure out how to secure it. We public. We we create it first. We we design it first, then we figure out how to pass it on to the future. And that's that's a problem. Another problem that we're going to have to solve. Uh, I think I don't know that our generation can do it. It's going to be our kids and our grandkids who are no, going to have I'm, to figure I'm it out. Say, I think it's going to be our grandkids or great grandkids. Yeah, because I think the way the mentality is right now, it's too. It's still too now, 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 and not what's down the road from now. Well, and but by the same token, you know, you can't. If somebody takes the time to invest and spin up their skills on that legacy hardware, be it Voyager specifically or anything in general, then they've locked themselves out of the modern marketplace. You know, right. I mean, may, you know, what's going to happen? Let's say they become the greatest Fortran and assembly programmer in the world, second to none. What's going to happen the day after we lose contact with the Voyager mission for the last time? I mean, you know, They're you're unemployed. not going to be doing a lot of apps in Fortran. Right. So that's true. Um, it, it's one of those. If, if you if you become a caretaker, then in a lot of ways you've checked out of society to caretake. You know, to curate the past. So, so the thing is, we have to always keep the tools to bootstrap. Right. That mm-hmm. that's I guess instead of keeping people uh, dragging people along uh who have this knowledge, we just need to make sure that we always have the ability to bootstrap. Uh and I don't know that we could bootstrap um you know sword making in an in another generation, another two generations. There are people who do it now, yeah. they're hobbyists, right? Yep. So everything that every every sword now, not every, but the vast majority of them are machine produced. Uh, and the art of hand hammering of uh, steel and folding steel and making that that still exists in the history books. But and as long as it exists in the history books, we're fine. But what I worry about is that when the history books go away, or right. w- there's some legacy piece like, for example, the problem is if something breaks, like and again Voyager because that's what the story was about the time it would take you to spin up the knowledge to be able to fix it, that problem cascaded and now it's totally broken. So right. there's this, there's this one piece and this, I'm just making this up, but there's this one piece of legacy code that's 10 generations old that if we take it out, the internet breaks and modern computing is unworkable. The problem is nobody today realizes it's there. So what happens tomorrow when that code gets corrupted by a firmware update? to a Microsoft Surface tablet, <laughs> you know, then all of a sudden you have to spin up the knowledge to be able to identify the problem before you can fix the problem. And the mass chaos that would ensue in the process, you know, would be, would, would have, would cause modern society to hemorrhage. And maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, but how do you hold on to the past while grasping the future? Yeah, Nordic in the chat room says that maybe with our with our new advancements, we would be able to spin up more quickly and and learn to do things even more efficiently. What you were just saying, Seth, but it's that even if the the downtime is is way low, uh, because we can advance. If if like you, the the thing you just said there, if the advancement is contingent upon knowing the thing, that's when when there's problems. Right. Um, right. And and there was a time when one man could know everything. You know, Leonardo da Vinci essentially had the sum of all human knowledge. That's no longer possible. We now know so much 
that no one person, no one group of people can do it. And before long, it's going to be, we're going to have to have, we're going to have to become computers just to be able to function in the world. That We will all be cyborgs because we can't keep up, the, the wetware that's in our head can't keep up with the, the current, let alone the future or the past. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm being, uh, you know, uh, a sci-fi writer here, but I really think that is the inevitable course of humanity. Um, as we continue to be more digital and become more dependent on digital, we ourselves must incorporate the digital. Yeah, I think you're probably pretty close to being right, Mark, because, I mean, I mean, the other issue is, is, you know, we only can think so much without the aid of, you know, computerized graphing or the computerized drafting of, of buildings because of the way things are done now. Um, it's interesting to see what's going to happen down the road when we have to incorporate, you know, when, when being able to function a keyboard with your hands isn't fast enough to keep up with right. the information that's flowing by you. Um, you know, IRC chat rooms are, you know, you get to a busy room. It's still hard to read those, but you could still scroll back and read. What if you can't roll back and read and you just have to continue on? Um, man, that's, that's some scary thoughts there. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking five generations from now or sooner when, when a baby is born or maybe even in utero, we will be implanting cybernetic devices in the brain before they leave the hospital at birth because that will be the only way to function in that society. Ugh. Wow. <laughs> think about, you know, uh, um, back to the future, the privacy right? concerns that well, think about the back to the future. Think there. about that 30 years ago. What does the world look yeah. like now? And look, at, that's only one generation, not even a full generation. Right? right. So I'm saying five generations from now, if not sooner, we will be not only indistinguishable from our technology, but in, in able, unable to function without it. And I, th- I think it's a good thing. Both of you are kind of, you know, your flesh is call- crawling in disgust. I'm excited. Oh, no. I'm ashamed I'm not going to be there for it. I'm not yeah. in disgust. Just, I'm just thinking just of all the other things the that are going to have to come into play like for that to happen. And it's right. like, you know, it'd be really cool to be to be able to be cyborg or... You know the the superheroes that you always yeah. think. We, of we have to eliminate the BSOD forever, right? We have to be, get so good at coding mm-hmm. that there's no such thing as a crash before you can input it in the wetware. But we have that we have that ability. We can make systems not that are f- perfect, but that are so fault tolerant they don't fail. Yeah, that's what I'm more afraid of is the failures. You know, is there a way for the failure not to be so catastrophic? But to invoke NASA again, you know, their uh, their tolerance is right around 0.2%. If they can't get 99.8% safety, they won't do a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've got a friend who, who you know, works uh, for government sci- spy plane type stuff. You know, he can't really tell me because he'd have to kill me, that kind of thing. And, and he talks about, one of the things they talk about is margin of safety is a big thing for them. And they're, they're never, like 1% is completely unacceptable. If there's a 1% possibility of failure, they, they won't even get it from the drawing board to the, to the drafting machine, uh, you know, to the, to the prototype. They have to have so, and, and, but it's expensive and it's difficult to get there, but we have the ability. Humans, uh, we're not perfect, but we're good enough, we're close mm-hmm. enough that we can create systems that fail safe 
or or have uh, redundancy. And we can get there. The problem is it takes money and it takes determination and it takes caring. And most people don't care enough to want perfect software. If their computer freezes and they reboot it, well, that's just the price of, of paying for, you know, uh, getting a machine from China for 20 bucks. Um, and and we're just okay with it. Yep. Yeah. You really can't say anything different there, Mark. I mean, that is the way the world works right now. And it's, it's a horrible thing in some ways, but it's a, it's the way the world is. And until we figure out a way to make it not that way, you know, I still, to this day and age, I don't know if how many guys you have the problem, but I still have to reboot my phone. Isn't that ridiculous that we have to reboot a phone? Once a week on average. I have to do it daily. Isn't that awesome? It, and that's what I was told from the manufacturer. Well, you're supposed, or not the manufacturer, but the uh, the service provider. That's what they I need to do is just reboot it every day. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a phone. Yeah, it's not a phone. It's a computer, and probably the thing you use it the least to do is make phone calls. Exactly. Yeah, yep. you're calling it a phone just because that's the closest paradigm we have. Mm-hmm. That's a legacy well, artifact of our a, communication is tell <laughs> is calling it a phone. I mean, like when it's somebody a, won't answer computer. their texts and I have to call them, that makes me mad. Why won't you answer my text? Why did I have to call you? Right. I'm with you. Of course, I, I can't remember ever once rebooting my Nokia uh, cell phone, you know, the 6102 or whatever it was, the little blue one that everybody had with the little nub of an antenna. Um like when the battery went dead, it shut down. But that was it. I never yep. turn it off and back on and see if it works. Uh, anyway, uh, and this may be the longest show we've ever done for a show without a topic. Coming into this, I was like, <laughs> oh, we'll read some news and we'll go. But everything we've discussed has turned into a rant fest. Um, I love it. I hope you as a listener are enjoying it. Uh, you've really gotten like three shows worth of content out of this one. Each of the things we've talked about, each could have been their own show. Uh, but in order to keep it from being a three and a half hour program, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. Okay. October the 29th, 1969. The first message is transmitted on ARPANET. And this is the first message sent um, over the ARPANET link was from um, a student's computer programmer, uh, like from UCLA to Stanford. And the message was low because they were sending login, but it crashed and it took in an hour to recover. So in history, the first Ooh. message on the grandfather of the Internet was low because the system <laughs> crashed before the message could have been completed. That happened this week in history. And the reason that could work is the messages were sent per keystroke. You couldn't even send that today, right? right. The, if the system crashed, you would get nothing. But back in the day, as soon as you pressed a key, it was immediately transmitted over to the other side. We went away from that because it was less efficient, but it was more fault tolerant. Right. Well, Going back to what we were just talking about. Don't take an hour to recover. Well, there's that. <laughs> um. Yeah, though the back then that was there were four machines. The internet consisted, or it wasn't even the internet yet; it was the ARPANET. Consisted of four machines: two computers and two what were called IMPs, uh, uh, Internet Message Protocol machines. I think is is what IMP stood for. Um, I think you're close. And so the the two machines talked, and the two IMPs did the translator. Uh, so it was essentially what we now know as two routers and two PCs. Um, yeah, exciting stuff. Ten thirty p.m. These guys were burning the the almost midnight oil. Um, or just there were students, so they were probably just waking up. Right. 
Yeah. <laughs> I bet there was a box of pizza in the room. I bet if you look at any major technological event since 1950, there was a box of pizza in the room when it happened. Yep. So at really, we're waiting box. on innovation because there haven't been any breakthroughs in pizza. Right. The next pizza breakthrough, <laughs> there'll be numerous technology innovations. Yeah, prior to that, it was probably a bottle of whiskey. When when uh, Thomas Edison said, Watson, come here, I need you, uh, and that was the first telephone message. It wasn't Edison. It was Graham Bell. It, it, when Bell, when it was uh, sent the first telephone message, um, there was probably whiskey nearby. Uh, but since since the invention of delivery pizza, it's been either pizza or Chinese or both. Mm-hmm. All right, Seth. Keep the keep the thing rolling with uh, your uh, show closing spectacular. Okay, um, Google. Think Google Large. Uh, it's epic. Google two t o o big t o use too big to use dot com. Just go to the link and then just watch it. T o o b i g t o u s e dot com. All right, and um, you can actually, if you get a search query in there soon enough, it actually does work. Right, but you just need to watch, just go right. there and just just let it set for a second and do its thing. Uh, Epic Google, too big to use dot <laughs> com. You click the link, I'm feeling excessive. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, and it takes you to speeddesk.net when you click, I'm feeling excessive. Uh, oh, it's no. getting pretty big. Anyway, I just time waster site right there. Epic yeah. Google. So uh, uh, you guys remember uh, Zombocom, right? Zombo.com. Welcome to Zombocom. All your dreams come true at Zombocom. Well, if you if you have a, a phone nearby, and you probably do, and you're probably listening to a podcast on it, when I hang up here, go to Zombo.co, the web 2.0 version of Zombocom. That's my gift to you this week. What is that one? Zombo.co. Okay. And then if you since you're not familiar with it, go to zombo.com first. This this was 19, or late 1990s. So check out zombo.com first and then do zombo.co. Um epic time okay. wasting uh that goes back 20 plus years. That one I haven't heard of, so oh, I'll have to go yeah. look at that one. All right. So um this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. If you would like your email to be uh, read on the air like the, the guys did today, or if you would like uh, your voice to be heard, you can contact us over at uh, elementop.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That sends a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. Um, and, or you can, if you'd like your voice to appear right alongside ours, you can call 559-IMOP. Leave a voice uh, mail on our Google Voice box, and we'll play it on the show. We love to hear from you thank you uh nordic and uh obando um for being in the chat room uh, we love having a live audience uh 7 30 p.m eastern time ish sunday nights is when we do the show we love to have you here we get feedback from you we get uh, uh your impact uh input live uh you can go to elementopi.com slash live and see that there you get the chat room uh and the video playing check us out there we really appreciate uh that Seth, Chris, as always, thank you for being the amazing hosts that you are. Thank you to uh, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy for being sponsors, for you know uh, making this uh, financially feasible for us to do this. This stuff uh, ain't free, and it's nice of them to kick in there 
If you would like to help that, you can do it no cost to you, no effort on your part. Go to alamanopi.com slash Amazon when you want to purchase something on Amazon. We'll get a, a little bit there. You can always kick in the tip jar. That's there. But most of all, tell people that you love the show. Tell us that you love the show. Share it with others. Rate and review on whatever system you do. And yeah, it would be nice if somebody went to iTunes. I know this audience doesn't like iTunes, but it would be nice if you made a review there. But uh, thank you for hanging out with us, Chris Seth. As always, thank you for being the great host that you are. And for now, I will say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.